Welcome to Global River Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org. Last week, Pastor Bishop introduced the concept of approaching God as a righteous judge. How many were not here last week? Okay, only not that many, but that's okay. So, approaching God as a righteous judge. The concept of the court of heaven where there's a legal right. You know, as, as a citizen of a particular nation, you have rights. You have more rights depending on what nation you're part of, and they seem to be under assault, but that's another issue um, for another day. So, as citizens of heaven, we have, we have legal rights, and that was what was being introduced. So, I really want to uh, place some more meat on this bone. Uh, if you will, turn with me to Hebrews 5.14. This is one of my probably daily scriptures that I use in spiritual warfare. This one in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 6, but I want to unpack, and if you've been with me any length of time, you know I share this a lot. It was just, the writer of Hebrews uh, talks about, this is the Hebrews 5, in verse 11, um, it speaks of spiritual growth. I have a I have a parallel Bible that has the King James on one side and the New Living Translation on the other. The King James is the 1600 version of the word-for-word translation, and the New Living is a thought-for-thought translation, and I, I like to bounce between both of them. Um, the writer of Hebrews says that there's a call to spiritual growth, and the first part of this Scripture is not very encouraging. In fact, if you were sitting in the audience of this sermon, you would not probably be encouraged in the first says, Verse 11, he says, there's much more, the writer says, I'd like to talk to you about now. And I think that's what this is about. There's so much more we want to talk about, um, especially, but it's been difficult to explain because especially you're so spiritually dull, you don't seem to listen, you've been believers a long time, and we ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you, again, the basics about God's Word. You're like babies that need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who is on milk still is an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. So, right, this boy's like, what the heck is this pastor? You know, you could feel that, right? So, it's not encouraging. It's kind of the word's cutting, right? The word can comfort and it can cut. And right now it's like, but then it gets to what I think is the meat. He says this, New Living says, solid food, verse 14, Hebrews 5, 14, solid food is for those who are mature. Now, if you've raised any children, grandchildren, When they get their teeth and they start going on meat, you get it, right? So, solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. I even like the King James better. Listen to this. Strong meat, verse 14, strong meat belongs to them that are full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern good and evil. So, let's boil this down. This is this place where if you're a mature believer, been running with the Lord, there ought to be a place where you can chew on some steak, right? And that steak chewing stuff, he tells you how you get there. By reason of the usage, pay attention to your senses. So, Mike, if I can use this example, since working so great today, we're getting frustrated. It's like, man, I am. Th- there's a spirit behind the frustration, right? And I get it. Sometimes um, we're waiting for our spouses. N- not that I would ever wait for my spouse, but it's it's easy, right? It's like if you're one of those, let's let's get it on. We, we got to be there on time, right? And then you have. The, it seems like the Lord matches you up with someone who's not that, right? <laughs> Just to, um, my wife doesn't like when I say, marriage is designed to kill you both, right? It'll kill your flesh. It just does, right? All right, that's a separate subject. Um, So, but by reason of use, pay attention to what you're feeling, your natural senses. Are you depressed? Are you sad? Are you joyful? It would be really good to understand why is it that I'm in this level of mood? It's in the natural senses, right? Because by reason of use, you will have revelation to the spirit that is behind that. 
And then you can take authority over it if you don't want it. If you want it, you can cook in it, right? Cook your meat in that thing. It's like, yipes. Or you can rebuke it, right? That which is bound on earth is bound in heaven. That which is loosed on earth is loosed in heaven, right? Matthew 18, 16. Look at those scriptures. All right. Look, let's read on in chapter 6 of Hebrews, verse 1. So he tells them, mature believers are training themselves by the reason of the use of what's going on in the natural realm, you can discern good and evil. There's a spirit behind everything. There's a spirit behind every relationship, every movie, every book, every church. There's a spirit. This whole world was created by a spirit, right? And so, recognize, you watch a horror movie, it's like, there's a lot of fear in there. Yeah, it's based on fear. Okay, you get it. Verse 1, chapter 6. So, Let's stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. Let's go on instead to become mature in our understanding. Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repentance from evil deeds, placing our faith in God. You don't need further instruction about baptisms. Notice that's plural in all translations. Water and spirit, okay. The laying on of hands, Instructions of the dead and eternal judgment, resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment, and God willing, we'll move forward and further understanding. And so, what he's saying is, pay attention and be mature. So, I want us to put some more meat on this bone of understanding, and I think the best place to do it as I search this is the book of Ephesians. I love, um, you can look at the commentary, Chuck Swindoll is one of my favorite commentators, and, and uh, he writes some things about the book of Ephesians. Just listen to this. First of all, we know the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Ephesians. We've taught on this several times uh, in our Wednesday nights, and I love this book, and I would encourage you maybe this week to read it meditatively in several translations. For a brief time, first of all, when Paul wrote the book of Ephesians, it's known as one of his prison epistles. He, for, he wrote four of the prison epistles while he was in his first imprisonment in Rome. So, he writes this book, which is really empowering, but we know that there's, it was written. He went to Ephesus on his second missionary journey for only a small period of time. You could read another place to look. We go to Acts 18 and 19. You can look at it. It's really... I was reading it this morning. It's just enlightening. It's really powerful. And so, he's on his second missionary journey. He visits Ephesus, but he comes back and he spends two years in Ephesus, two years as a missionary. Think about that. And he really, and this place, I mean, it's a city that has got some messes in it, lots of witchcraft. Look at Acts chapter 18 and 19. It's, uh, it's the place where the goddess of Artemis, right? There's a temple to the goddess of Artemis. And the silver makers are making all their idols and they're praying to their idols. And people are getting saved and there's all this evangelism going on with Paul. First he goes and spends several months in the synagogue and they're not receiving it. So then he goes and he goes to the amphitheater. He starts preaching and there are Jews and Gentiles getting saved. And it's becoming so empowering they're not buying idols anymore. The jewelry store and the metal makers are losing business so they stir up a riot. Paul would come and, you know, breaks out riots. you got to wonder, wow, God. And so, he loved Ephesus. It was this place. It's the place where the sons of Sceva come. Remember the, the exorcists who come, and they, they try to do an exorcism, and <laughs> the, the spirit, it was probably, probably a pretty high-level spirit, he says, I know Jesus, and I know Paul. Who are you? And they have a terrible experience. All the sons are actually, their clothes are ripped off, and they're beat up. So, you could ask them, how did your deliverance go? <laughs> not, not too well, right? And so, there's something about who is your God, and the devil knows who your God is, all right? And so, it's only by his authority you can do anything anyway. And so, we see in the book of Ephesians, just a, it's an amazing book, and I, I love this. First of all, we're in around 60 to 61 A.D., so we're 30 years past Jesus' resurrection, And so, this is a place where the church is being planted. Paul is in his journey. He's planting churches. He is battling. He's been arrested, and you know all that he's been through, right? 
shipwrecked, snake, snake bit, beaten within an inch of his life, once lash of his life five times. It's like, man, this guy is hardcore missionary. But this prison letter and this second opportunity, really, it's what's the big idea in this book? Paul divides this letter, Ephesians, into two clear segments. The first three chapters apply to the truth and, the, and it makes it possible. And the second part is a lifestyle or actions and relationships. Once you know the truth, there ought to be a consequence to the truth. It ought to change the way you behave. It ought to change the way you think, or at least be on the journey for that progression, right? He tells us in Romans 12, 1 and 2, he says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, letting God change the way you think. If you'll do this, He'll show you His perfect good and plan for your life. So there's something about the transformation and not conforming to the world. So the first part of Ephesians is, I want to tell you the truth, and this is meat truth. This is not Christianity 101 stuff. This is meat. When he's talking to the Corinthian church about all, man, you shouldn't be sleeping around. You shouldn't get drunk before, you know, the guy who's sleeping with his, his mother-in-law, you know what, you ought to do something. No, he's, that's instructional to the church. But this is, I am now speaking to the spirit-filled truth grabbers, all right, the first part of this. And so, it's this ability, he's, he's given this ability now, and so he goes on and he says this, both Jew and, Gentile, Jew and Gentile alike, they were both dead in their transgressions and sins, and now you've been made alive by the power and the blood of Jesus. If you're not born again, you are spiritually dead. It's not like, well, I'm kind of, in a, no, no, you're not. There's no fence here. You are spiritually dead, but you may be alive in the natural, and you're alive in your soul, right? We know from Genesis, Genesis, he says, Jesus tells his two children that are in the garden celebrating, communing with him, if you eat of this, if you rebel and you do this, you shall surely die. Of course, Satan uses that. He says, did God say? He always comes and chirps, right? He challenges identity. What did he tell Jesus when he was in the desert after he didn't eat for 40 days in his fast? The first thing the devil says, if you're the son of God, change the stones to bread. He's a, he's a, he's a snake. <laughs> just, just who he is. So we realize that this is that place where he wants us to enter in in such a way that we can get this revelation. But if you are not born again... You are dead spiritually. Word is very clear in this. So, you can, so we, that's why we desire everyone to spiritually become alive. And there's only one way to the Father. It's through the Son. All the stuff you're hearing out there on every other media, well, you can, there's many ways up heaven. No, there is not. There's only one way. John 14, 6. The only way to the Father is to the Son, through the Son. All right. So, Paul lays this down as a framework of making sure you understand. You were once dead in your transgression and sin, but now you're alive. Well, that's the simple gospel, but it's true. But then he takes us so much deeper. When Paul was not responding to a particular theological or moral problem like he did in some of he was encouraging the Ephesians to mature in their faith. And he, after laying this profound theological truth in the first half of the book, Paul then has a clear purpose. He expects that this community of faith will walk in accordance with the heavenly calling. So that's the theological reality, and he wants this practice both in our relationships, our church, and our home, and in the world. And so, we're going to look at, turn with me, if you'll pull out your handout, the first part of this, I, what I did is I took the first three chapters of Ephesians, and I laid out at least for me, what was highlighted as kingdom truth from this book. Now, listen, just absorb this. Just listen and look at the same time at your handout, first paragraph there. We know that this letter is from the Apostle Paul, and he's writing to whom? Holy people of Ephesus, who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. That's really foundational right there. This is not to everyone. This is to faithful believers who follow Christ, 
God the Father has blessed us with every. Some of your translations say all. When you look that word up, it's like unlimited. The Father has blessed us with every or all spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms. Some of your, t- your translations, I, I looked at like 20 of them, it says places, heavenly realms or places. Well, what's a realm? Some of you know it's a kingdom, it's a, it's a domain, right? So when we look at kingdom, now we know that the kingdom of darkness has a domain, right? In Matthew 12, during the, when Jesus does the best teaching he does, I think, on deliverance in Matthew 12, he talks about there's a man who's demonized, he casts the demon out, and the the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they come and say, well, he's the prince of demons. That's why he can do that. And he knows their thoughts. He has a word of knowledge, knows their thoughts, and says, a kingdom divided can't stand, a, you know, house divided. So, then he goes on and he says, when I cast a demon out, the kingdom of light or the kingdom of heaven has come among you, right? Light and darkness cannot dwell together, and the light always wins, depending, just put the right light bearer there, and the kingdom of darkness always will lose. Now, there's a battle, and it may not turn out the way you like it, but I'm just, okay, let's move on. So, He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, or the domain, or that location. He chose us. Stop there for a moment. He chose you. You didn't choose Him. You know, when did you find Jesus? No, He found you. It's the place where you gave up and said, I, I got to have Him, all right? And He orchestrates a whole lot of events sometimes to get us there. He chose us to be what? Holy and without fault in His eyes, adopted us into His family. Okay, that, okay, holy. God, do you, do, do you really know me? <laughs> Sometimes I'm not so holy, right? I'm not so patient. I'm not so... hmm. He purchased us without a fault in His eyes, and then He owns us. You're adopted. There's paperwork. There's a paper in heaven that says, this is my son or daughter. You have been adopted. It's, it's a legal document. He knows who you are. The devil knows who you are, but he knows who you are. My son, my daughter, this date, settled in heaven, right? So, you've been adopted. He owned, he, that's why Paul talks about this whole thing of, I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. I'm a servant. Uh, wow. That, again, that's just deep. He purchased and forgave us by the blood of the son, his son. If that's not enough, furthermore, we've received an inheritance. You're rich. Galatians 3. It says every wealthy inheritance that Abraham has, you have. Now, it's in, Bishop talks about the bank account. Some of you don't know how to write checks on your bank account. (laughs) If you don't know where the checkbook is or how to write it, or you don't know the password or... But it's there, okay? That's what it says, right? So, learning how to go into the heavenly realms, both as God as a righteous judge, there is a place where we have been given an inheritance. He identified you as His own by giving you the Holy Spirit. You're also marked by the Spirit. You know by the Spirit. But then He gives you wisdom, revelation, mighty power. Wisdom, revelation, and mighty power. To who? all who believe Him. Wisdom, revelation, and mighty power. Well, who doesn't need that? For those who believe Him. Christ, now this is the operative in the title of, my, of the message today, seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. Christ is seated with God in the heavenly realms, 120. You were once dead in your sins, but He gave us life and seated us, past tense, seated us with Christ in the heavenly realms. So, you are, see, you are seated with Him in the heavenly realms. We are so naturally focused. It's like we blow right through that Scripture. It's like, yeah, 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 one day I'll be up there with… No, it's not the Scripture here, right? It says, we're seated with Him. Faith saved us, not your works. You can carry your wheelbarrow of good things. That isn't getting you in heaven, Okay. It will be part of your reward system, but it's not part of your entryway. 
right? For grace, we've been saved. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For grace, you've been saved through faith, and yet not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So all the philanthropists who've given billions doesn't get you in, okay? It's good works, but okay. So it's faith that saves us. We are His masterpiece. Some translations say workmanship. The Greek really talks about you're a sculpture. You're a sculpture. You are His workmanship masterpiece created in. This is the, the new creature created in Christ. You're no longer, it's no longer I that liveth, but He that lives in me, right? And so what He's doing is He takes this ugly piece of granite. You're a big rock, stone, ugly. And um, He does it better than Michelangelo. How many years did it take Him to do that sculpture of all? Boy, I'm so not in this, but I... I can, I've seen it. I was like, wow, that's amazing. Yeah, let's go to the next thing. But it's, think about this sculpture that he does. He's working on you. And his spark's flying. And he's got a vision of this is the identity of my son and daughter. And I'm chiseling, right? I've been told that the um, life is formed on the, an, on the anvil. You know what an anvil is? You ever see a metal worker smacking and fly? It's like you're being formed on the anvil of life. It's painful, you get knocked around, you get bent, you get stuck in the fire, it bends you again. It's like, think of it that way. God is working, and you are His workmanship, His sculpture, right? That's why Philippians 1, 6 makes so much sense. He who began the work in me will perform it to the day He comes. He's working, even when I don't see Him working, right? Miracle worker. I'm going to sing it for you, but okay. So, He's planned good works for you to do. He's got a workbook of things. This is why Bishop last week talked about the book of destiny. There's a book of destiny works that he has planned for you, but because you and I have free will, you can choose to do something else. And that's why when you get there, there's going to be some, he tells us in Corinthians, there'll be a, a loss in heaven. If your work is burned up, all your wood, hay, and stubble is burned up, you're going to suffer loss. You're in heaven. That's okay, but guess what? There's a destiny plan that God has for you to work. And He planned it long before the foundation of the earth. Before the foundation of the earth, He knew you. He knew you'd be sitting here now. He knew the circumstances of your life. He knew you where you'd end up, what choices we would make. And He keeps loving us, and He keeps working with us. He says, come on, come on. He no longer calls us strangers, but citizens. You're a citizen of heaven. Philippians says that. Ephesians says it in 2.19. Philippians 3.20. You are a citizen. Members of God's family. You are His house. A holy temple. A dwelling place. How's your temple doing? Whew. Working on that temple. Need some cleaning? Defilements that need to go or... Changing the way we think, all that stinking thinking stuff, right? All right. He goes on, he says, you're a holy temple, a dwelling place where God lives. That's kind of 1 Peter 2. You're the living stones that are being formed in the temple of God. That means that every one of your stones is different. I don't know how this works, but the picture of that in 2 Peter, 1 Peter 2, is that there's a temple of God being formed and the stones. You, so, Bishop's stone... Ginny's stone, mom's stone, it's, it's different. It's fashioned differently, and there's a spot in the wall that only that stone fits in the temple. It is his desire that none would perish, not one. But we do know there will be those who perish. By their own free will, they choose not to follow God. And as a result, that stone is empty, that place in the wall. But he's forming this. He's, he's, that's why he says, be careful that you don't destroy this temple. He warns about this. How can this temple be joined to immorality? There's all these examples and analogies of the, the household of God. Then he goes on, he says, this dwelling place, I love this part of it, the endless treasures. This is in chapter 3, verse 8. The endless treasures, some translations say unsearchable riches that are available. Now, notice the conditionality here. They're, they are available. Not everyone makes themselves accessible to them. Next one says, may you experience, again, conditional, may you experience the love 
and power that comes from God. So they are available, and you can, and look what He promises. There are endless treasures, unsearchable riches. That means you can keep digging, and you'll find riches, but you can never get to the end of that gold line. It's like, that's a vein of gold that's like, it says, in fact, it says, it'll take all eternity for us to figure this one out. So, this is, this is really deep, and it says, when you experience this love that's available in the unsearchable riches of Christ, it can make you, it will make you complete in the fullness of life and power that comes from God. These are truths that are like, he is not talking to the brand new Sunday school. This is like, are you getting this? Do you understand what's available if we can get there? So now, let's unpack this a little bit. The, first, let's, let's talk about the depths of this. Turn with me, if you will, to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Where we are in the handout is the Apostle Paul was caught up, number one, was caught up into the third heaven. I introduced this about a couple of months back, and um, I want to dig deeper around this more. So, turn with me to 2 Corinthians 12. I want to introduce two things here. One is, Paul has a vision of the third heaven, which is paradise. But he also talks about his thorn in the flesh. Both of these are intriguing, and the one is somewhat... Um, challenging. Let's just put that, the whole thorn in the flesh thing. So, let's read there, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 1. He was challenged, and he wants to then, he says, this boasting will do no good. But I must go on. <laughs> it's not going to be good for you, but I'll tell you all about my experiences, if you think these super apostles. He was having some issues with others, right? And if you read the chapter before Paul's many trials, it talks about all of his issues being beaten to one, within one inch of his life, shipwreck, snake bit, goes on and on, right? Okay. The boasting will do no good, but I must go on. I will reluctantly tell you about my visions and revelations from the Lord. I was caught up in the third heaven 14 years ago. Whether I was in body or out of my body, I don't know. Only God knows. Yes, only God knows whether I was in body or outside my body. But I do know this, that I was caught up to paradise, and I heard things so astounding, I can't, they can't be expressed in words. Things that no human is even allowed to tell. This experience is worth boasting about, but I'm not going to do it. <laughs> well, Paul, you just did it. <laughs> um, I will boast only about my weaknesses. Oh, if I wanted to boast, I would be no fool in doing so because I'm telling you the truth, but I won't do it because I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life. That's good. Or hear from my message. Even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in the flesh, in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from being proud. Three times I begged the Lord to take it away, and each time He said, my grace is all you need, and my power works best in your weakness. So now I'm glad to boast in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weakness and in the insults and hardships and persecutions and troubles, and I suffer for Christ, for when I am weak, I am strong. Okay. Now, this messes with the name it and claim it crowd, okay? Um, and it, in Scripture, there's always tension. There's, there's tension, right? Once saved, always saved, or can you lose salvation? You can line up Scriptures on both sides. We've done that, Right? even had an activity and put people on, which side are you on? And you can argue both sides of that, right? So, there's tension in the Scriptures about healing and praying and believing and faith. And, and man, we are a faith camp. That we, we believe in by things. All things are possible, right, to those who believe. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. Hebrews 11, 6. 
It's impossible to please Him, right? Those who come to Christ must believe that He is, and He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. The diligent seekers who believe Him, that he, there's, a, there's a reward, and He comes and He's pleased by your faith. The woman with the issue of blood. You, I mean, we've camped all around, but I want you to see here, was it more important to God that when Paul, who prayed for the dead, he had handkerchiefs. Go look at Acts chapter 18 and 19. He had handkerchiefs that caused demons to run away and people to get healed. Uh, This guy, his handkerchief, right? He blows his nose and demons run away, right? Come on, it's like, this is, but now here's, he's before God. He says, we don't know what the thorn in the flesh is. There's a lot of thoughts and all that stuff, but it was in his flesh, and it was a messenger sent by Satan, and God allowed it. Now, does that mess with you? Okay, it does, but I want you to see what's so important. See, that's why we look at things so narrowly. Was Paul healed in his spirit by the ability to go in his fleshly weakness to God so he did not become proud? That was more important to God than you being healed of this condition, whatever it is. And he begged God, and he had power to ask God. He saw things happen. He prayed for the sick, right? So here he is. I want to just venture to you. He was healed in his spirit. In fact, it was the back pressure from the Holy Ghost that caused Paul. Because what would happen if Paul became pridefully arrogant? He had, I think he had that issue in the be anyway, right? When he started, right? Until he got humbled and knocked down and blinded three days, sitting there, scales on his eyes, and realized, oh my gosh, I have killed the Christians. I've been locking them up, and I met Jesus on the road. Can you imagine sitting there for three days in blindness going, oh my Lord, oh, he's real. Three days. There's <laughs> some about three days, right? And then he sends this reluctant messenger, go there and pray. And he says, God, do you know that this guy is the one that's killing? He goes, yeah, yeah, I got work for him to do a lot. Yeah. Goes and the prophetic word is released. And so it's real important that Paul stays humble. And, and I'm not, again, I'm, I'm just reporting there's tension in Scripture. We pray for sick. We pray for, we've seen miracles. We've seen blind eyes open. We've seen the lame walk. We've seen tumors disappear in front of us. But then there's times we pray. It's like, Lord, where are you? Come on. So I'm just offering that this way that God looks at things, His ways are not our ways. Right? And in no way do we, it doesn't neglect the rest of Scripture. Praying for the sick, lay hands. These are the signs, Mark 16. These are the signs that follow them that believe. They'll cast out demons in my name. They'll be able to handle deadly things without harm. They'll lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Okay. So I'm just, let's balance this. So Paul is caught up in the third heaven. Look at one, two, three, four, five here. It says, the third heaven is paradise. Second Corinthians 12, we know that from the thing I just read. He is caught up into paradise. This is where Jesus went when he was crucified. I've listed it there in Luke 23, 43. Remember, he turns to the thief on the cross. He says, this day you will be with me in paradise. So Jesus went there after the resurrection. Paul saw things that were so incredible, he wasn't allowed to speak about it. Even if he could speak about it, he couldn't put it in words. That's why eye has not seen, ear has not heard what God has prepared for those who love Him. But it's been revealed by the Spirit. We know something. It's really a great place. But I can't tell you how big and beautiful. You can't imagine. I can only imagine. No, you can't. (laughs) Okay. So we see this. Number six. Believers have risen with Christ and are seated with Him. You died to the old life, so put to death sinful earthly things lurking within you. Turn with me to Colossians 3. This is another prison epistle. And in in this example, again, he shows this example of being raised with Christ. I, I want us to see that Let's begin in verse 20 of chapter 2 of Colossians 2, 220. 
you have died with Christ, and He has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. King James says in verse 20, Colossians 2.20, Wherefore, if, if, if you be dead with Christ from the rudiments of this world, why, as though living in this world, you're subject to its ordinances? New Living says, you've died with Christ. He set you free from the spiritual powers of the world. So why do you keep following the rules of the world such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. Such rules are mere human teachings about the, de the deterioration as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. This is kind of a, a prelude in chapter 2 where we, they were getting pressure from some of the religious folks that you need to observe certain holidays, moon days, Sabbaths. It goes on and says, you know what? Don't let anybody tell you these things. Verse 16 of chapter 2, don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat, drink, or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon festivals, ceremonies, or Sabbaths. For these rules are only shadows of the reality that is yet to come, and Christ Himself is that reality. Don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial, worship of angels that had visions. Of so, he goes on, he says, I've come to set you free. Now, we're going to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, <laughs> right? We're going to set up a tent. We're going we're to go 24-7 from the 21st of September until whenever Jesus tells us to stop. We've invited folks. We've got bands. So, we, we honor the feast days, right? But we're not going to be held in religious bondage because he goes in Galatians, he says, who's bewitched you? Why are you going back under the law? The, so, again, Paul deals with this in, a, in a, it's another story. Okay, chapter 3, verse 1. Since you have been raised to new life, so, it's a, he's expecting that this is what's happened to the believer. Since you've been raised to new life with Christ, you're seated again. This is the picture of you've been raised up with Christ and you're seated in that place. Since that's happened to you, what's the consequence, the results? Set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in this place of honor at God's right hand. Think about these things of heaven not the things on the earth. Whew. Does that mean we're supposed to be going to be monks or something? No. But the, your day-to-day -day operation of life, keep your focus and realities on the heavenly things. This is all... hundred. Look around. A hundred years from now, none of us will be here. Maybe shorter than that, but... Right? This is, that, this is all temporary. So... Set your sights there. Think about the things of heaven, not the things on the earth. For you died to this life when your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you'll share in all His glory. This verse, verse 5, is like, <laughs> I had to laugh. So, verse 5, chapter 3, put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. <laughs> like what, what is that? Put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. I, th I think of the swamp creature or something. <laughs> it's like, and it's probably close, right? This, there's this stuff that lurks within us. It's, it's earthly, it's sinful. Having nothing to do with immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, don't be greedy. For a greedy person is an idolater. They worship the things of this world. Because of these th sins, anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of the world, but now the time is to get rid of anger and rage, malicious behavior, slander, dirty language. Don't lie to each other. For you've stripped off the old sinful nature and all of its wicked deeds. Put on a new nature. Be renewed and learn to know your Creator. Become like Him. It's this new life. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew, a Gentile, circumcised, slave, barbaric. He lives in all of us. 
So, since, here we go again, since you're there, a born-again believer, since God chose you to be holy people whom He loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender mercy, make allowances for each other's faults. Is that what it says there? And forgive one another for those who offend you. Whoa. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive. Above all, close yourself with love and binds us all together in perfect harmony. Like I said, this word is like, whoo. So, what is it that you and I need to put to death? What are you working on? <laughs> we all got it, right? And it's a journey. You might get this, man, I killed that thing. Yeah, and then another one pops up like, oh, Lord, right? We'll go on a trip to Alaska, and the Lord will show us, right, Mike? <laughs> By the way, you're not alone, Mike. My wife could, yeah. Yeah. All right. Seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. I've been hearing all week, position yourself. Take your seat. Position yourself and take your seat. See, there's a, there's a choice. There's an activity. You can choose where you're positioning yourself. You can take your seat in the heavenly realms, or you can operate from the natural realm. And so, I want us to unpack this a little more. Since we are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms, there's really three parts of us. And this is covered in, you, you can jot this down, you don't have to look at it now, but in Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, may you prosper in your body, soul, and spirit. I shared with you Hebrews 4.12, right? The Word of God is, is active, it's alive, it's sharper than a two-edged sword, right? That's in Hebrews 4.12. The Word of God is active. It's alive. The Word is a person. His name is Jesus, right? The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, John 1, Right? He's the one who dwelt among us. He became flesh. The Word became a man, the God-man, who dwelt among us. He gave us His Word. That Word is active and it's alive. That's why when you read this Word, it'll read you. And you'll either be convicted, you may feel condemned. It's like, oh man, i got to change that. Right? That Word is so powerful. That's why He says in 2 Timothy 3.16, that Word will equip you, train you. Right? It'll show you. It'll rebuke you. That's why I'm so amazed. I do prayer ministries every week. I did two this past week. And people from other parts of the state fly in from California, Texas, right? These are believers who have walked with the Lord a long time, and they do not know the Word. And I'm not trying to be critical because, man, I was there for so many years. We got to get, that's why Bishop says, study, 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 keep, keep, right? Man, if you are not in the Word every day, you are missing such a wonderful, life-giving opportunity, right? I'm, and I'm preaching, I'm just, we, we really got to get that Word. So, the Word is active, it's alive, and it's able to cut between soul and spirit and the intents of the marrow and the bone. It lists all three of your triune personhood there. It is the spirit that's either alive or dead, depending on if you're born again or not, and your soul, which is your mind, your will, and your emotions. It's your personality. It's your attitude. It's your belief systems. They either got to be transformed into his thinking, or you'll end up with stuff that will get you all messed up. Just look at our country today, right? So, and then the Greek talks of it this way. It's the pneuma. It's the spirit. The, the suke, which is your soul, and then the soma, which is your body. So, we're three parts, but here's the trouble with the non-mature milk suckers, right? They, they don't understand the meat of the Word. They can't, I'm, hey, I'm picking on, a, I'm not preaching to anybody, I'm preaching to me. But I'm, we got to get this place because if this is place where if you're still bottle sucking, you guess what? You're going to get beat up by the devil. And what's coming on this earth, you are, it, it's going to be, it's coming, right? He told us. Matthew 24, Luke 21, Mark 13. He told us. And it's here. Many believe it's here, right? Okay. So if you don't know the word, 
then you're not seated in the heavenly realm. You're seated in the natural realm, and you're looking at all this through the natural realm. Well, Trump this and that. This. Come on. Get seated in the heavenly realms. And it says, I love this. My wife and I, we do our, our journaling time, our devotion thing in the morning. And today, Jennifer LeClaire's devotional was, this would be my title, Keep Your Mouth Shut. But it was more beautiful than that. It was, um, be slow to speak, quick to hear, and, and uh, yeah, you know that one, right? And uh, out of James, out of James, it says, why do you give you two ears and one mouth? You know, you all, there's something about if you will be quiet, he'll give you discernment to see what's going on if you'll wait. But the problem with guys like me is like, mm, I'll give it back to you. And it's like, I wish I didn't do that. How many times I've had to apologize to my wife? I wish I never said that. But I got tweaked. <laughs> and the old pride man rose up and said, well, well, well. Yeah, yeah, just wouldn't we do so much better if we would just button the lip? That's what the Scripture, amen, I heard that from wives over here. And elbows are flying all over the place. <laughs> wow. I hope the camera caught some of these. But anyway, okay. Uh, okay. I want us to see in the, in the Greek, which is, this is where... Paul tells us, you're already seated with Christ. So the question for us, for me and you is, in this particular season, in this particular circumstance, where are you seated? Have you taken your position? Have you found your seat? Or are you in the natural realm operating out of fear and unbelief? Operating out of circumstance instead of by faith, not by sight, right? So, once we understand this and we broaden our understanding of the Scripture, it just becomes a whole lot easier to operate in. And so, I want us to look at a couple of things here. The Revelation 28, let me pack, the, we've got a few more minutes and we'll pick this up next week. Um, in Genesis 28, why don't you turn there with me? I want to use two Scriptures to kind of offset. In Genesis 28... You're familiar with this scripture, right? Um, Jacob is sent to go find a wife with his, his uncle Laban. He's in the journey. He's on his way. And in Genesis 28, he has this dream, verse 10. Jacob, meanwhile, leaves Beersheba, travels to Haran. At sundown, he arrives at a good place. So he knew it was a good place to camp. Stopped there for the night. He found a stone. This guy's hardcore. Have you ever been camping and put a stone for your, for your head? Uh, man, I, my wife will tell you, I sleep with a lot of pillows. <laughs> oh, Lord. And so this guy's hardcore. He's got a rock for his head, right? And he says, he lays his head down, and as he slept, verse 12, he dreamed of a stairway. Mom started, he says, What's, it's Psalm 120 through 134, right? Describes the stairway to heaven and these different steps up the stairwell. Well, and there was an ugly song in the old days, you hippies, about the stairway to heaven. You should not listen to that. Okay. But, but it's probably out of these scriptures, right? It's like there's a... But you get a picture. Jacob gets this dream of a stairway to heaven... And it reaches from earth to heaven, and he saw the angels coming up and down on the stairway. At the top of the stairs stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord God of your grandfather Abraham and the God of your father Isaac, and the ground you are lying on belongs to, me, to you. Wow, what a revelation. I'm giving it to you and your descendants. Your descendants are as numerous as the dust of the earth. They will see the prophetic word here. They will spread out in all directions from the west, east, north, south, and the families of the earth will be blessed through you. Boy, that's happened. The Israelis, the Jews have blessed us with many of the inventions. What's more, I am with you, and I will protect you wherever you go on the day I will bring you back to this land, and I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything I promised you. 16, he wakes. That's the word from the Lord in his dream. He wakes up. From his sleep, he says, surely the Lord is, is in this place, and I wasn't even aware of it. 
The Lord is in some places, and we have not even become aware of it. This was the gateway. This was a portal. This was an open heaven. This was a place he just happened to camp there because it looked good. How many circumstantial things? My friend Mike always used to say, I do more by accident than I do on purpose, right? But God has dev- he's, he's put a lamp unto our feet, right? He's directing our path. If we trust him and not lean on our own understanding, in all of my ways he'll acknowledge me, I'll direct my paths, right? So he camps there, and then he realizes, whoa. I just got the most amazing prophetic word for all the generations forever and ever and ever about Israel and what's going to happen, and I didn't even know it. There was this revelation of what seat was he in? He's after a wife. He's just left his brother. They, mom and him cooked up this deception. It's not really good. What's going on, right? And he happens to camp there on his way to find himself a bride, He's probably not seated in the right chair. But God says, all right, I'll break in. <laughs> How about this one? Here's another scripture which, which I love. Turn with me to John 1. In fact, uh, my wife and I, when we've been watching The Chosen, if you haven't watched it, you need to watch it, man. Free app. Go on free app Chosen and, and watch season one, season two. Now, I'll put a caveat in it. Um, there's, it's not anti-scripture but it fills in some gaps that could be, yeah. right? It, it, I haven't found anything that's, that violates Scripture, but it's like, oh, well, that's an interesting concept. Maybe that's what, right? It deals with Mary Magdalene. And, but the one that um, this past week we watched was Nathaniel. In John 1, turn with me to John 1. In John chapter 1, Jesus is in the process of calling His disciples, He's, they're being highlighted. He's prayed all night. Who do I have to, who's going to be my disciples? Who is going to turn this world right side up, right? So, he's praying all night sometimes, and, and so, he knows who he's going to call. So, he calls Philip, and this is verse 45, and Philip then goes to find Nathanael. This is in John 1, 45. Philip went to look for Nathanael who told him, we have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Now, I love Nathanael's first word, Nazareth. That's like Burgall. <laughs> By the way, I live, I live there, so hey, right? Can anything good come out of Burgall? Yeah, hallelujah. Okay, wait So, Nazareth, right? Can anything good come from Nazareth? Come and see for yourself, Philip replied. Now, here's his choice. As they approached Jesus, now here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. Jesus in New Living uh, says that. King James says, a man of no guile. How would you like the Son of God to say, here's a man of perfect integrity, no guile? Woohoo! Wow. What a, um, you don't hear much about him, you know, like as one of the guys, right? So, he says in verse 48, Nathaniel says, well, how do, you, how do you know about me? Nathaniel asked Jesus. I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. Then Nathaniel exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. Jesus, he says, do you believe this just because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You're going to see greater things than this. I tell you the truth. You will see heaven open and the angels of God going up and down on the Son of Man and the one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. Now, the chosen uses this example. He, they say that Nathaniel, hypothetically, was an architect. The building he's working on collapses and kills someone, and he's distraught. And he's sitting under the fig tree, and he's crying out to God. He's got his plans that he was made, and he burns them up. He says, don't hide your face from me. Where are you? Don't hide your face from me. Silence. And then Jesus sees him. Here's a man of no guile. I saw you under the fig tree. And he goes, that revelation at that moment you are the son of the living God. I called out to you. I cried to you in the most deepest despair of my identity is now wrecked, wrecked. I can't do what I thought I was called to do. I wanted to build you a temple. I can't. That's that break in that probably every one of us. You listen to these, man, what wonderful Wednesday night testimonies. Man, last week and the week before, oh, 
golly, how God, it just breaks in. I love John Corey's testimony of, I got to hear from you, God. And the feather falls down and lands on Hebrews 11. And then he asks a question, and the feather moves to another answer to the question. You can't take that away from John Corey. You've had an experience with God. You could give me all your theology. You can't tell me I didn't see the blind sea. You can't tell me the demonized woman whose leg was like this when we prayed for her and she released that and she stood upright. You're never going to take that from me. God is a healer. He's a deliverer. He's the king. That's the truth. Those experiences of the break-ins, right? Those breakthroughs bring the revelation of the kingdom that the heavens are open. He's the stairway. We got to get positioned. And so this is this desire as we go deeper. Next week, I'm going to kill some sacred cows. Not on the altar. Not literal. Okay. We're not doing any blood sacrifices here. I'm just, but I, I want to encourage you. Would you, if we're going to land this thing, I'd, I would love you to read the first several, probably read six chapters of Ephesians. Read Ephesians all six chapters, but do it meditatively. Pray on it. Do it in a couple of translations, um, and just meditate on it, and ask Holy Spirit, reveal to me, where, where am I at? What's my seating arrangement right now, right? And then I would love you to meditate on Colossians chapter 2 and 3. What is it that's lurking? That needs to be, right? Sometimes we shoot snakes out at our farm, right? What snake is lurking that needs to be put to, to death? And do this meditatively, and because I believe we're going to come back. We're going to look at, I'm going to give you some more homework. <laughs> Read maybe at least the first five or six chapters of the book of Job. I'm going to, that's one of the cows that's going on the altar. So, read Ephesians 1 through 6, Colossians 1 and 2, 3, and the first five, six, seven chapters of the book of Job, and meditate. ask the question, what, what happened to Job here? <laughs> what is this? We're going we're gonna to tackle this, and maybe we'll get through it next week, if not. I, we're, we're going deeper. This is not... Um, and I'm not trying to be critical, because if you're a brand new believer, what I would do is I would take these scriptures. I love when people take them, and don't trust what I'm telling you. Go read it for yourself. Ask the Holy Spirit to tell you what's true. And then precept upon precept, it'll take you deeper. You'll start, because there's, there's so much in this Word that He wants to equip us with. If they come to take it away, they come to take away your Word, you got to have it in here. Okay? All right. Let's, uh, let's stand. I want to invite the ministry team, if you'll come. We want to pray for any needs that you have physically, spiritually, emotionally. You're standing for so ministry team. You know who you are. Come on up. Lord, I just thank you for... We just love your word, Lord. We, we thank you that you're so patient with us that even though many of us we're bottle feeding at times, and we still do on some things. We want to be the meat eaters, Lord. We, we want to be those that can handle the word of truth with excellence, with power, with wisdom, with revelation, with evangelizing skills. And Lord, I just, we, we, we thank you, Lord, that your word is powerful. And we thank you that your blood is more than enough. We sang about the blood. Lord, I thank you that the blood of Jesus answers every accusation, every sin. And I thank you for Holy Spirit who's able to empower every believer. He says, I've given you everything you need to live a godly life. So, Lord, we just come and ask you for more of your spirit, more of your presence. And let the peace of God that passes all understanding Lord, we need to set our minds on that which is good and holy and right and just. Philippians 4. If you do this, He'll guard your heart and He'll guard your mind. We need our hearts 
and our minds guarded today. And we need to know the truth. And so I thank you, Lord. We bless everyone now that has been here this morning or listening by live stream. God bless you.